around the world. The Spirit is moving and a voice is being heard. Welcome to The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford. You can write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. We'll give you that address again at the close of today's broadcast. But here now is David Langford. Hello, friends. Pastor David Langford here today. We'd like to welcome you to The Voice of Evangelism International Ministries. We're exceedingly excited about the great things that God is doing here in this end time hour. We are humbled. We are blessed. We are very, very thankful for you, the listener, those of you who support us, and how far God is allowing us to go into the world to preach the gospel and reach people. It's all about souls. If you don't understand salvation, you don't understand the plan of God. God's plan was to redeem men. Men were lost, ostracized, alienated, cut off from God. There was no way for man to get back to God. Think about what I just said. There was no way for man to get back to God. And that's why people who don't really understand the vicarious and efficacious work of Christ, they really don't understand salvation. It took God sending his son from his bosom to take on the very nature of you and I that he might fully comprehend and understand you and me and everyone because God does not know about evil because he cannot even be tempted with evil. But man, oh, he's easily tempted with evil. He easily strays. He easily lies. He easily blunders in his humanity. But Jesus, having taken on that form, that nature of mankind in its entirety, yet all the while remaining God, that is something you and I would never in a thousand lifetimes be able to fathom. Literally, utterly impossible. Why? We don't have that knowledge because we are not God. We are human, and we regrettably are tremendously frail. Psalm 78, 39, he remembered they were but flesh. O wind that passeth away and cometh not again. How oft did they grieve him in the wilderness and tempted him in the desert. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. I often tell God, Lord, remember, I am but flesh. O wind that passeth away and cometh not again. Yes, I have wearied him, tempted him, grieved him, broken his heart. But that's why that passage is prefaced with, he remembered they were but flesh. That's God having pity on his creation. I trust and I pray the Holy Spirit of God has already touched you this Monday, February the 15th. 
We're going to be starting this new series. It will be very lengthy. I trust it will be very enlightening. And at times, I pray the Holy Spirit will show you the positive aspect of all of this because I don't want to be depressing, discouraging, talking about darkness and preparing for it. But I want you to understand what the darkness is and how it's going to affect the earth, the world, and all that are therein. It is a reality. It is scriptural. And without a doubt, America is headed toward some very dark days. We just can't keep renouncing God. I, I, I do believe now Trump was a mere reprieve. It's just a stay of, per se, like an execution. God just gave us a time of grace. The sad thing is many people abuse the grace of God and they don't appreciate the leniency, the love, the compassion, the mercy of God. But God will not leave any generation, he said, without mercy. They'll all have a measure of it. Before we get into the message today, I want to play a song by the group called The Old Paths, and it's entitled, Look at All I Lost. This would be considered the epitome of Southern gospel music. Cross. 
and shame, no shackles and chains, no ransom, no debt, no sentence to death. When I knelt at the cross, look at all I it all when we go to the foot of the cross and cast our sins at his feet and thank him, glorify and magnify his great name and thank him for what he did for us on the cross. Salvation can be found in nothing except what Jesus did on the cross. If you believe in any other thing concerning salvation, your place, or excuse me, your faith is absolutely misplaced. You're putting your faith in the tenets, the dogma of the Catholic Church Your faith is misplaced. Well, I don't believe like the Catholics, but I believe like this Protestant denomination. You better believe in the cross because Jesus was nailed to it. And nothing, nothing has anything to do with your salvation other than the fact that Christ was nailed to a cross, his blood was shed. He became the sacrifice. He became the sacrifice for sin. Thus he atoned for it. He satisfied God's demand. Thus he was the propitiation for our sins, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Think about what I just said. He paid the price for the sins of the whole world. But that doesn't mean the world is going to accept Christ. And again, that's 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. He was that sacrifice that satisfied God's demand. He paid a debt he did not owe. We owed a debt we were unable to pay. We had no way of paying sin's debt. And if you think something that you say, something that you do, something that you repeat, whatever the case might be, somehow has something to do with your redemption, you're terribly mistaken. Colossians 1, 14, and whom also that we have redemption through his blood, 
even the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. You have forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. Did you hear that? It's through Jesus Christ, what he did, wherein you have forgiveness of your sins. Colossians, excuse me, Ephesians 1, 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood. You can only be redeemed by the blood. The forgiveness of sin is only by the blood. According to the riches of his grace, there was no greater grace manifest to men than the blood of Jesus Christ. So there it is in a, a capsule, a nutshell. Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Nothing you say, nothing you do, nothing has anything to do with your works. Your, your works are a stench in the nostrils of God. That may be offensive to you today, but I want you to understand the gravity, the magnitude of the shed blood of the Lamb. In whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sin is through his blood and the riches of his grace gave us the blood to be forgiven of our sins. Amen. I said we were going to start a new series. We're going to begin that today, the middle here of February. It's going to be a very lengthy series. I put this together well over a year ago. And as I was up in my office last night reading and this morning rereading it and making some more notes, I thought it has a very tremendous prophetic slant to it because the Lord just kept delaying me, delaying me, delaying me in preaching this or bringing it to the youth or a teaching. And I think you'll, uh, you'll be blessed. And I will do my part to not allow it to become depressing, but rather a revelation of what to anticipate and expect. I want to take the scripture text today from John chapter 12. John chapter 12, beginning at verse 35. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of the light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. The reason it says he was hiding himself from them, he was approaching Passover and was determined to be synchronized in all that would be done. So on the evening, he would substitute the Passover lamb as he hung on the cross. And so that's why he was hiding himself. 
It wasn't playing hide-and-go-seek. Hide and he was The timing was not quite yet, but it was certain to come in just a matter of days. Preparing for the darkness. Preparing. I suppose the most simple definition for preparing preparation would be simply getting ready. Getting ready ready. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 44, therefore be ye also ready for at such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Then we go to Matthew 25, the ten virgins, and they that were ready, they that were prepared, went in with him to the marriage and the door was shut. I believe that's Matthew 25, uh, somewhere around verse 10, 11, 12. So that is the, the fundamental meaning of preparing is the fact, the art of being ready for something that is coming down the pike. There are two distinct words within the scriptures concerning the word darkness. We have the one Hebrew word, koshik. C-H-O-S-H-E-H-K, shokik, and it means misery, such as deep, dark depression. It also means the darkness comes from falsehood, ignorance, spiritual blindness, and also hiddenness, something that is hid, hiddenness something that has intentionally been put in the dark that you cannot see and know the truth. That's the Hebrew word from the Old Testament or the meaning. Now we have the Greek word kados, kados, S-K-O-T-O-S. This kind of darkness is when anyone is in the light and they are suddenly overcome with a shadowy type of darkness, which would cause them to be forced to stop immediately. Now, I believe in the coming days we're going to witness both. Through falsehood, through ignorance, blindness, and hiddenness, and it's hidden that it might not be seen. I believe we're going to, we're already in that element of darkness, falsehood, ignorance, blindness, and things that are hidden. But there's also going to come another form of darkness, which I believe this is what the Greek speaks to. Suddenly, while in the light, darkness pervades and permeates your life. I believe it can also mean be a spiritual application and also a physical one. And we're going to get into all of this. Remember, when Christ returns, the sun will be darkened. So this is also going to be a literal event that takes place in the time of the end. Now this darkness that suddenly overcomes someone 
would be like driving down the highway at night and suddenly you turn off your lights while doing 60 miles an hour on a country road where they just don't have street lights and things of that nature. If you turned your headlights off while on a country road doing 60 miles an hour, you would have to immediately stop. I mean, stop as quickly as you can. Why? Because out in the country, you don't see anything. There are no street lights. There are no lights from the mall. There are no city lights. So you're just in utter, utter, utter darkness. That's what I believe will soon come to America. If you don't suddenly stop to avoid harm or injury, you will be hurt if you don't suddenly stop when this darkness falls on America. This kind of darkness, according to the Greek transliteration, means sin, misery, evil works. If a child of God ever enters into this dimension of darkness, they must stop immediately and return to the light. I know I was living a life of darkness. The hand of God adamantly, without yielding, pressed upon me great and grave conviction to repent of my sins or God would never deal with me again. Most of you don't know that ultimatum. But I knew it, I understood it. Very, very clearly. It wasn't something I needed to pray about, talk about. I knew I must quickly repent and get right with God because I would have then, had I not, went into utter darkness prematurely, prematurely lived the remainder of my life in utter darkness and then be cast into darkness in the end. I want to remind you of the Scripture text from here in John 12, Verse 35 and 36, Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. You don't know where you're going when you're in the darkness. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. We've got to remain in the light. From the very beginning, Elohim has always demanded division and separation from any kind of darkness whatsoever. God is light. Jesus says that here. He is that light. He says, while you have the light, walk in it. Walk in the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. So many people think they know where they're going today, but they don't have a clue.
Mr. Biden can go to church, Mitch McConnell, Kamala Harris, they can go all they want to until the Holy Spirit of God deals with men and their sins. You can be religious till you die, but you'll die without God. John 6, says, No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. Admittedly, I have my questions about deathbed repentance. Why? Because Jesus said, You can't come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw you, John 6, 44. That word draw in the Greek means to drag you, drag you. Now, the reason I don't take an adamant disposition is Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You could look at that and say, well, anybody, any place, anywhere, anytime can come to God. There's something distinctly separate and different and unique about Holy Ghost conviction and God dealing with a person. Conviction. Let me get back on the subject matter of darkness. God has always demanded separation from darkness. He did it in the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And God saw the light. That's almost an oxymoron. God is light. How then can he now suddenly see light? He's talking about the natural light that was placed upon the earth. In God, there is no such thing as darkness. But his eyes saw what he said come to pass, and there was light now upon the earth. And that was good. Light is always good, God says. God divided the light from the darkness. He called the light day, the darkness he called night. But I want you to grasp the immediate separation of light, darkness, day, night. Jesus, throughout the scriptures, talked about the difference between day and night. John 9, 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day for the night cometh when no man can work. He's always showing the difference, the uniqueness, the distinction between light and day, excuse me, light and darkness. So many people today live in darkness and they're not aware of it. Those people up there on Capitol Hill, that is a dark place. They don't know it's dark, but it is terribly dark. It is terribly dark. And God says, I'm going to separate the light from the darkness. The light is going to be called day. The darkness is going to be called night. And as I said, 
Throughout the Gospels, Jesus used that analogy. Day and night, light and darkness. John 8, 12, I'm the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. This is not only an illuminating light, it is a spiritual light. Spiritual light. What I'm talking about here in Genesis 1, verses 4 and 5 is natural light. And I'm not talking about a stinking beer either. Natural sunlight. Natural darkness. Why? Because the sun is on the other side of the earth at that particular time. The word good, and God saw the light that it was good. Light is good. The photosynthesis, the process of growth in the earth, crops, grass, soil, everything has to have light. You have to have light to grow a garden. So the word good here in the Hebrew means to be beautiful. Light is beautiful. Light is beautiful. If you ever been in a place that was just tremendously dark, I've been in a couple underground caverns. You can put your hand in front of your face. It is so dark you cannot see your hand. Scary dark, spooky dark. And you kind of enjoy getting back out in the light. You know those caverns where they got stalactites, stalagmites? They light it up so you can see all of this. I think I was in West Virginia in one, and I'm pretty sure it was West Virginia. They turned the lights out, and man, you talk about dark. That's close to the darkness that can be felt. Why is light so significant? What is so significant and great, majestic about light? Jesus, now remember, says, I am the light of the world. I am that light. Believe in the light because the light represents truth. Truth. And where there's light, you can see things that you can never see in the darkness. No one can admire or appreciate a particular jewel or a stone without penetrating light. You could take the most beautiful onyx, sapphire, ruby, diamond, whatever it might be, walk into a dark room, and it be as big as a silver dollar in your hand, and you look at it in the dark room. There is nothing to behold. There is no beauty to admire. There's nothing there to appreciate but suddenly turn a very powerful, powerful light on that jewel or that precious stone, and all of a sudden you will see the beautifulest colors as they begin to emanate from that stone. But that is impossible without the light. I said that is impossible without the light. You can have the light of a room and say, boy, doesn't it look good? But also, then take a, a beam of light and shine it on the stone. And that was where Lucifer fell into deception. 
Ezekiel 28, 15 says, That was perfect in all thy ways from the day that that was created until iniquity was found in thee. You see, the beauty from Lucifer was emanating from off of him because he was there in the presence of the light. But he thought the beauty was coming from himself. See, that's deception. Then when God kicked him out, he forever has since lived in darkness. And he has no beauty now because he is not in the light. We have to be in Jesus Christ to have the light. No, no man can be redeemed without the life, excuse me, the light of the life of Christ abiding and aboding in them. You must have that abiding in you. John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. I just told you, you cannot have life without light. Light brings life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So when the life of Christ comes into your heart, you have life. When his life, his light, get this straight, his light comes into your heart through his mere presence, you now have eternal life, eternal life. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful verse there in Psalms 149, verse 4. He will beautify the meek with salvation. The redeemed of the Lord are a beautiful people. They are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, according to 1 Peter 2, 9. Only because of that light that comes into us. That's why you need to understand the, the need to be in Jesus. Beauty is only possible if one will cease from darkness and come to that light, that light. That light is very, very important because the light is Jesus. We're told in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, those who are untrustworthy. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? I want you to see something here. Communion. I'm going to spell it. C-O-M-M-U-N-I-O-N. What are the last five letters, and what does that say? U-N-I-O-N, union. God says, 
you cannot have union as light being my children. You cannot have a union with darkness. You can't be in union with darkness. There can be no union, no participation, no joining together in anything or anyone where there is darkness. Communion, the communion, the commune, C-O-M-M, we have the word community. It's a type of fellowship, C-O-M-M, fellowship, community, but we're using the word communion. So we don't uh, live in the community or have a union with darkness, now, when Paul uses the word, have no fellowship with the, uh, uh, excuse me, be ye not unequally together with unbelievers, Paul uses the word unbelievers because he is addressing those who are untrustworthy concerning the faith. Let me kind of start over here again. 2 Corinthians 6.14, be ye not unequally together with unbelievers those who are untrustworthy. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness? We're talking about fellowship. We're talking about community. We're talking about union. You cannot have a union. If you're in the light, you cannot have union with darkness. You have to be careful. Those who you might befriend, you say, well, they're, they're, they're not really Christians, but, you know, I'm, I'm trying to win them for Jesus. Be careful. Be careful. Don't let them drag you down. I see that happen so many times because people aren't living their life in the light. See, that light in you will not only remove people from your life, it will keep people from coming into your life, and there may be those who are offended by your life because of the light that is emanating from your heart. You cannot have fellowship with those who do not believe like we believe concerning the Word of God. We have such a watered-down gospel today, it begs description. It's pathetic. It is pathetic what's going on. These men, these women on television are nothing more than hirelings. That's right. I said they're nothing more than hirelings. They don't give a hoot about you. They just want your money. They don't pray, they don't fast, and you watch them. They don't ever call the Bible the Bible, and they don't preach the Word of God, and they don't declare His Word under the anointing and inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because they don't live there. They live in darkness. They live in darkness. And they're not going to preach a pure, unadulterated, convicting word today. That's not popular in America, sir. 
Who's in a popularity contest? Are you wanting to be popular with God or popular with the devil's crowd? The demon that jumped on the seven sons of Sceva said, Paul I know, Jesus I know, but who are you? They, they, they came in the name of their own flesh. They couldn't cast out that devil. That devil whipped all seven of them. Where is the manifestation of the Holy Ghost to the degree it humbles people, breaks people, and they come to the altar with hot tears streaming down their faces, repenting of their sins? Where is that today? It's not a day that I don't pray I repent. You hear things, you see things every day that grieve the Holy Ghost of God. You should repent. You should say, God, I'm sorry for letting that enter into my hearing. I even pray for bad thoughts. Forgive me. I want to have clean hands and a pure heart. As born-again believers, we are to be led by the Holy Spirit. And if you are a born-again believer, and I say I am a born-again believer, for the most part, we should see the Word of God very much alike because we should all be viewing the Word of God through the lens of the Holy Spirit. But there are some things people are not going to change, hell or high water. If you're growing in Jesus, the Lord's Christ, you are always having to change how you understand the Bible, what you know about the Bible. The greater your understanding, the more you will change, not for the worse, but for the better. And the closer you will get to God because you understand him better. You understand his word better. I mean, there's, there's hardly a day that I don't pick up my Bible and read it and, and I see a nugget. I see something deeper. I see something richer. I see something more strengthening of my personal life. As I've gotten older, I've become so much more grateful and so much more thankful for redemption. I mean, I, I'm just so thankful God could have left me on the, the heap pile of destruction and of ruination, but he didn't leave me there. And I'm thankful he didn't leave me there. What kind of a mess. I would have been in an eternal mess, an eternal mess, without God touching my life. Regrettably, we say we're Christians, we say we're spirit-filled, but we just don't see the Bible the same. You know, it's like the left and the right, Democrats and Republicans, Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees says there was not a resurrection. How do you, how do you, how do you both claim to be following Messiah, uh, Yahweh, but you don't, you, one believes one thing and one believes another? 
Somebody's wrong. Somebody is terribly, terribly wrong. Paul makes it very simple for each of us. When we see the Word of God through the lens of the Holy Spirit, then all subject matters will either be righteous or unrighteous. You, you, you'll see sin as what it is. You will, send right, you will see righteousness for what it is. You will recognize ungodliness. You will recognize godliness. You will recognize unrighteousness. You will recognize righteousness. All unrighteousness equals lawlessness. Remember that. All unrighteousness equals lawlessness. Because if we are in righteousness, we're doing everything right. If we're in his righteousness, we're doing it right. If we're not in his righteousness, and we, we have to step out of that, then we become unrighteous. Unrighteousness now equals lawlessness. And here's the prophetic words of Christ in Matthew 24, 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Listen, I'm pleading and begging for God for revival, a spiritual awakening, not only in America but around the world. I believe it will come, but I'm afraid we're going to suffer terribly. When you read the prophecies of Christ, now I'm going to make some people mad. That's all right. That's all right. That means I'm troubling you by what I'm saying if I'm making you angry. That's all right. You need to be troubled in your spirit. I said you need to be troubled in your spirit. People are prophesying the decade of destiny. The glory of God is about to come on the earth. All of these flamboyant, very illuminating statements, yet we're more wicked today than we were last week. We're more wicked. We just put in the personification of wickedness in the Oval Office, and from there all the way down to whatever. Wicked powers in high places, spiritual wickedness in high places. These people are sickening. Biden quoted Psalms 30 and verse 5, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Sir, you do not repent, you'll weep for all eternity because it's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. You, my friend, those of you listening today, don't let the world corrupt you. Don't let the world infiltrate your mind, your heart, your spirit, and you have the ability to embrace sin, to endorse sin, to coddle sin. But Jesus said because iniquity, iniquity, that is the working of transgressions. I think I shared that with you many years ago in Psalms 32, 8. David said, Thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Thou forgavest 
the iniquity of my sin. I thought iniquity and sin were the same thing. But reading that one day, I realized there's a difference here because David is asking relative to forgiveness. I said verse 8 or 5, I don't know, because I, I know verse 8. I will instruct thee, teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. And sometimes you just mess up, mess up these numbers in your head. But David said, thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Psalms 32, verse 5. And when I saw that one day, forgavest the iniquity of my sin, I thought iniquity and sin were the same thing. They're not. Sin is the transgression of the commandment of God, whatever it might be. Uh, you say, well, we're in the New Testament. You're still not supposed to fornicate, be a drunkard, lie, cheat, all this stuff. The sin is transgressing God's word. The iniquity is the actual physical deed of committing the sin. You take a gun, you shoot someone. That is the iniquitous act. The death of that person is the transgression. Thou shalt not kill. That's the difference. Thou shalt not commit adultery. The anatomical act is iniquity. But the sin is the transgression of the commandment not to do it. So it was like a, a brainstorm. Thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. And because iniquity shall abound, these acts, deeds, physically communicated, etc., etc., because iniquity shall abound, the love of many. Now, the love of many means you're in the love of God. But because of this explosion of lawlessness, because of this explosion of lawlessness, many godly people are going to fall by the wayside, yet this is the dec decade of destiny. This is the decade of God's glory. Joy Osteen's latest pouring out the negative. Son, you got to tell them what to pour out. Tell them what is negative. Drunkenness is negative. Fornication is negative. Sodomy is negative. Adultery is negative. Lying is negative. You're only talking about human reasoning and thoughts when you say pour out the negativity. That's not preaching. That's a life coach. That's a life coach. I'm going to tell you how to get through life. Pour out the negativity. Why well, ain't you something? Yeah, you something all right. People will never want to tell you the truth about the sin in your life. But the Holy Ghost, he'll smite your heart. He will reprove you of sin and of iniquity. I said the Holy Ghost will do, that's his office. That's his job. You say, well, that's, that's hard. Friend, that's only to get you saved. That's to get you out of the pit of hell. That's to get you out of wickedness. That's to get you where you ought to be.
Jesus said when the Holy Ghost has come, he will reprove the world of sin. That's how I know there's no Holy Ghost in churches today because if the Holy Ghost was there, he would reprove them of sin. Oh, we preach without the Holy Ghost. So you preach without an anointing. And you think you're really preaching without the anointing of the Holy Ghost? Jesus said, I'm going to send you another comforter. It's expedient for you that I go away. If I go not away, the comforter will not come. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he's come, when he's come, he will reprove the world of sin. He is constantly rebuking darkness. Constantly reproving, rebuking darkness. Reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more and of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I judged him on the cross. I found him guilty. Colossians uh, 2.15, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made assure them openly, triumphing over them in it. That's what he did at the cross, triumphed over Satan, death, and hell. And that's what Jesus is telling us here in the 16th chapter of John about the Holy Ghost. And you think you can have church without the Holy Ghost? You're having a form of godliness. You are denying the power thereof. And I'm told there in 2 Timothy 3, 5, from such turn away. Turn away from them. Get out of their presence. Get out of their midst because they resist. They quench. They grieve the Holy Ghost. They deny the power of the Holy Ghost. And all they have, he said, is a form of mere godliness. That's all it is. All of these thousands of people and these mega churches, where's the power of God? I said the Holy Ghost, dunamis power of God in these houses. Where is it? Where is it? When you can walk through the church doors and walk out and you've never been affected by what's there, you're in a dead mausoleum. You're in a sarcophagus, a stony casket. It's all you're a part of. Where there is light, there is life. I went to a church one time to preach. Not then, but just a few years ago. One in a million I got to go to, but here's the problem. The light guy came to me and said, do you want it dark? I said, are you kidding me? Turn the lights up. Turn the lights on. I want to see who's in the crowd. I want to see what the Holy Ghost is doing. I want to see who he's probing and prodding. I want to see what the Spirit of grace is doing. Now, I didn't say all of that to him, but I did say I want the lights up. You know, John 3, 19, by the way, says, and men loved darkness 
rather than light, because their deeds were what? Evil. Come on, some of you out there in the world like me, you ever went into a nightclub? Nightclub, they're clubbing at night, and how many have the lights on in the club? They don't. They keep very little light in there. Very little. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Evil. I'm going to pick this back up tomorrow with the word here, communion. Because it is important that you only have communion with Jesus and those who are walking in the light as he is in the light. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of his son cleanseth us from all sin. I'll say that again. The blood cleanseth us from all sin. What does that mean? Only the blood takes and cleanses you of sin. The Greek word is katharismos. Katharismos. Cleanse. You've been catharized by the blood of the Lamb. And if you stay attached to Christ, sin will be cathetered out of your body on a regular, regular basis. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Wonderful night. May the Lord God of Abraham forever order your steps. Keep praying, keep seeking God and pleading with God for a spiritual awakening in this nation. I'll see you tomorrow. I'm going to pick it up with that word, communion, community and union. The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford is brought to you by the faithful listeners and supporters throughout America. If you're looking for an uncompromising message, we invite you to tune in each week to The Voice of Evangelism. For more information, write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. That's P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020.